The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the program. Great to have you along tonight. You know what's always interesting? If you're watching on our YouTube live stream, you know what I'm talking about here. When you're living a time where you actually have to alter the title, you've got to play tricks and games with what you put in the title to avoid being censored in America. You know you're in strange times, and we are in the strangest of times for sure. Not only is that indicative of how strange our times are, and you should all be very upset about that. I I continue to preach that point. Uh, But the discussion we're about to have also is indicative of us being in very, very strange times. We've got returning guest Dylan Howard joining us in just a few minutes. Dylan has written a lot of books. He's an investigative journalist and an author. He's written books, and I'm trying to remember which book we were talking about when he was on last. He's written about the Princess Diana uh, tragedy. The book was called Diana Case Solved. He's written about Jeffrey Epstein, and I think that's who we were talking about when we had him on last, when we had Dylan on. Uh, That book is called Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales. He's written a, a book called Royals at War. He wrote a book called Bad, an unprecedented investigation into the Michael Jackson cover-up. He's written Billion Dollar Hollywood Heist. He's written the last Charles Manson tapes, Evil Lies Beyond the Grave, and more. Uh, Dylan is a, a, a dedicated and hardworking investigative journalist, and his newest book is called and I am going to say this, and I've got to be concerned that the algorithms censor us, but what the heck? Here we go. He's written a book called COVID-19, The Greatest Cover-Up in History, from Wuhan to the White House. This is going to be a very interesting discussion, and it's one that we have to talk about. And it may touch some political nerves along the way, but that's okay because we're all adults in this particular program, right? And we can all handle opinions that may or may not agree with our own because that's what adults do. So that's the discussion we're going to be having tonight, and it's going to be very, very interesting. Uh, Dylan's book, COVID-19, The Greatest Cover-Up in History, is linked on the uh, Beyond Reality uh, Amazon page. It's easy to find by going to Amazon.com slash shop slash JVJ taps, my initials and then taps, of course, um, because of my affiliation with the Ghost Hunters team. So uh, you can find the book there. Click on that because if you're going to buy it, that's a great way to do it. It help, it gives the program a little bit of credit for that. So thank you for doing that in, in advance. There are other ways you can support the program too. One way is to go to our Patreon page. The Patreon page is patreon.com slash Joe Hall, J-O-H-A-W. That's the name of our production company. So it's patreon.com slash Johaw. And if you uh, pledge an amount to support the show, that's uh, very appreciated. Of course, I don't uh, expect that. But when when folks do that for us, we appreciate it because it helps us deliver the program. As you know, we've changed our format almost a year ago now. And we are no longer carrying the heavy load of commercials that the radio uh, contract put on us previously. And now we are... Very limited in our limited in our commercial content, but that also means limited in our revenue possibilities. So we appreciate the help from listeners who wish to support us. And thank you to all of those who have done that. Another way you can support us is simply by subscribing to our channels. We've got uh, a YouTube channel. Obviously, many people are watching the live stream there, and many people watch the program 
um, in the archive after the fact. That is just uh, YouTube.com, and you search for uh, JV Johnson. You'll find it. And the other page that I'll point you to is our Twitch page. We have uh, Twitch.com or Twitch.tv, either one works, slash JV Johnson. There is no archive of programs there, but we do stream live for your enjoyment. And again, tonight, this is going to be a conversation that we will uh, probably make some people angry, probably, probably make some people curious, but it's information we need to talk about, and that's what this program is about. But before we do that, I just have to say, earlier tonight I was watching a news program, one of my favorites, probably my favorite news program. I try to watch it every night uh, during the week. And on that particular news program, the host did a segment. Now, this is, um, this is generally a political news program. They generally just talk about politics. But every once in a while, this particular program sneaks in something that uh, interests this show. And tonight they did that. They were talking about new uh, UFO information being released. Apparently, some F-18 fighter jet pilots, F-18s are the Navy's uh, aircraft carrier fighters. Apparently, they caught a picture of a triangle-shaped craft. Now, that picture has not been released, but it's known they have it, and they've been talking about it. And apparently, and this is all what I gleaned from the news report that I just saw a little while ago, but apparently the military has acknowledged that this very well could be a non-human technology, because as they reported it, they said there was no visible exhaust from the propulsion mechanism, which... The way it stands right now, our technology does not allow us to do that here on Earth. So this is a very interesting development, and I'm going to try to find somebody, get Slick Eddie on this case, and see if we can find someone who's a bit of an expert on that and talk about it and see what they think and what they're reading into this news. But again, we keep inching closer to this disclosure idea. And I don't think it's necessarily willingly. I think the, the things are happening that uh, you know the government and the military are being forced to acknowledge. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash Joha. That's J-O-H-A-W. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Looking forward to this discussion, and not only is it going to be an entertaining and informative discussion, I think it's an important discussion. And particularly when we're living in an age where information doesn't seem to flow as freely as it should, uh, and conversation doesn't seem to happen as easily as it should. And tonight we're going to have one of those conversations that uh, needs to be had. And our guest tonight, Dylan Howard, is a returning guest. He, of course, is an investigative journalist and an author, and his new book is called COVID-19, The Greatest Cover-Up in History, from Wuhan to the White House. Dylan, welcome back to Beyond Reality. It's a real pleasure to have you back with us tonight. It's great to be with you again. I was trying to remember, I think when you were on last, we were talking about the Jeffrey Epstein case. I think it was too, yes, and uh, still no end in sight with that particular case. Yeah, I was wondering, we don't, we're not really hearing a whole lot about Ghislaine, I think that's how you pronounce her name, Maxwell, and what's going on with her. I'm assuming she's still in jail. I'm assuming there haven't really been any serious uh, 
uh, court appearances at this point. Do you have an update? Do you know what's going on there? She has petitioned to the court uh, to be um, let out on bail and has presented a in excess of $30 million um, package to the court for consideration to allow her out of court because she says that her health is deteriorating and that she is at the risk of contracting COVID. The oh, court, really? of course, is yet to rule on her request, but uh, $30 million is a lot of money, and um, she's certainly thrown everything and more at this attempt, but one could only think it would be relatively futile given um, even though she's offered to surrender her passports and the such, that she does represent uh, a significant risk uh, back into uh, public society. Yeah, she seems like the type that would flee. Um, what is what is uh, happened with what we had heard would be reports of explosive information being released that may indict and impugn uh, some high-profile people. I don't think we've either heard of or seen any of that. Has any of that been discussed yet and just not being talked about, or are we still waiting? Well, we I had anticipated, based on what Audrey Strauss, who is the head of the uh, Southern District in New York, she had said with the arrest of Ghislaine Maxwell that effectively... Uh, they had achieved their highest target. Mm -hmm. However, I am mistaken in that. Uh, I do believe it is an ongoing investigation. I do believe that some people have turned uh, state or federal witness um, and may have been offered non-prosecution or immunity agreements in exchange for their cooperation against Ghislaine Maxwell. But there remains a number of other targets that, that are in potential... Uh, site of the government. Um, One of those is an alleged co-conspirator who, it is my understanding, is currently living overseas at the moment in a country that doesn't have an extradition treaty to the United States. So one could uh, only assume that that individual fears that they too would be charged like Maxwell in this particular scenario. So when you boil it all down at this point, as we stand here near the close of 2020, there's more to come in this story. Uh, Without doubt. I mean, this is not by any stretch of the imagination a case that is over. Everyone's asking the question as to whether or not um, high-profile individuals that might have been uh, caught up in the web of Jeffrey Epstein will be charged. I think that's highly unlikely. Um, They obviously would have some form of defence, as questionable as that could be, by form of entrapment or something to that effect. Uh, It certainly is uh, a wild stretch to think that, but I think it's very highly unlikely that you're going to see the likes of... um, of Prince Andrew or Bill Clinton dragged before the court on these types of allegations. 
Yeah. Um, and of course, this wasn't going to be our topic tonight, but a lot has happened since you've been on the program. So I like getting your opinion on it. Uh, we had Dr. Sarah Weck, the, the uh, forensic pathologist on the program last week, and he brought up the Epstein case. And, you know, he, he's one of those that believes there that was not a suicide in that jail cell, or at least not on an, an unassisted suicide in that jail cell. Um I think, you know, you fall into that camp as well, if I remember correctly. And has there been any movement on uh, an investigation in regards to Epstein's death, or is that case closed? Well, no. I mean, it's an active investigation in terms of what took place inside the MCC, the Metropolitan Correctional Center in um, Manhattan, obviously, the guards on duty that night have been charged with various crimes, effectively being delinquent in their duties. Uh, There has not been anything that has established a further nexus or connection to nefarious means, which is an inconvenient truth, if indeed there is one, for the United States government, because the United States government knew all along Jeffrey Epstein was a spy operating on U.S. soil for the benefit of foreign intelligence services. So, uh, you know, I always say that uh, be careful what you find when you look down the rabbit hole. Hey, you know, we're going to get into talking about the COVID-19 pandemic and your book and how many anomalies exist in this particular story that point to cover up. Uh, but the other thing that kind of rings in people's minds here is when you have a story like the Epstein story and the possibility there are some very high ranking and high profile people in that story if as it unfolds and then all of a sudden you've got a uh, a global pandemic that basically puts that story on a not just a back burner but almost buries it completely uh as we get into the covid conversation I don't want you to tip your hand too much here but is there any any thought or any uh, evidence that maybe some of this is is an effort to cover up news like the Epstein case? Look, I think that that would be a conspiratorial thought, um, but there are you know we certainly know that there are deeper forces at play across yeah. society. I, I don't have any empirical evidence to to substantiate that. What I can say though is that. Overall, um, I don't think that we're necessarily getting the free flow of information that the fourth estate, which is journalism, the media, um, has ever really delivered upon in recent years. And uh, I know we are deviating off topic somewhat, but uh, the Hunter Biden scandal is a classic example of how weaponized the media has become. To the right, it was a legitimate news story. And it was done uh, relatively fairly and balanced and covered. Uh, but the New York Post had its Twitter account silenced for two weeks. That's right. Because it reported on that, while the left completely ignored it, downplayed the scandal, denounced its authenticity. And now it's the subject of a federal investigation for his father's Department of Justice. So... Uh, it beggars belief to me that uh, it, well, it's actually frightening to think just how the media is manipulated for those in the ivory tower that lord over media organizations and use it to their own benefit for what they want. 
As someone who uh, prides himself on his work, and you do fantastic work, uh, do you look at that, and do you look at the state of the media, and does do you lament that? I mean, it must it must bother you greatly as a journalist. Well, it does. I think the Hunter Biden example is, quite frankly, probably one of the more disgraceful instances in recent memory in which the media has deliberately turned a blind eye and and, and the media being the left, um, they outright rejected the scandal from the moment it hit and said that it was an October surprise designed to discredit Joe Biden. Well, we now know that under Attorney General William Barr, this was the subject of two criminal investigations, but was not declared um, like four years ago when Hillary Clinton's uh, email scandal was declared and arguably had an impact on the election. So for the left and blowhards like Brian Stelter from CNN to be uh, immediately denouncing it as a legitimate news story without doing a modicum of research to even identify whether the story is real, accurate, credible, just flat out denying it immediately smacks of an agenda. The thing that struck me even uh, further about this Hunter Biden situation, and, and again, you're right. This isn't this isn't what we're going to talk about tonight. But I think it's in the in the greater conversation of cover-ups. This is kind of important, especially because the media is our only hope to uncover things that are cover-up. But um, the thing that really bothers me is the media claimed at the time, prior to the election, that there was no evidence to support this. This was all whatever. But yet they they then went so far to say it's Russian disinformation, which if they're not willing to accept the evidence that was presented in, um, in, in the story about Hunter Biden himself, where did they get the evidence to suggest that it was a Russian disinformation campaign? They didn't have problems saying that. Well, Jeff Zucker, the head of CNN um, and CNN's political director, were caught in secret recordings yes. by Project Veritas saying that they simply won't cover the story. Serious questions ha- have to be asked about whether or not there is a legitimate media outlet that is bipartisan in today's society. The truth and tradition of media that we once adored and provided that uncensored and unfiltered check of government and institutions simply doesn't exist. There are those on the right and those on the left, and they've become equally as weaponized in their pursuit to bring down either side. And that's a great travesty for the American people because it feeds into the notion of eating away at a democracy and it feeds into the notion that um, that we're only going to become even more divided as a country than where we already are today, which is grossly divided and on the brink of 
you know, potential uh, serious ramifications. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right about that. But here we are. We've just kind of set a backdrop uh, of something that we have seen uh, occur rather recently with the Hunter Biden story, the lead up to the election, and now uh, what we're seeing reported on that same story after the election. So let's take this backdrop, this backdrop of media, um, in some cases incompetence, in some cases insincerity, and now let's apply it to the COVID pandemic and what you saw in the early stages of this that made you recognize this was something you had to address? Well, I have been uh, a reporter who has worked uh, on two occasions in China as a foreign correspondent uh, in 2007 and 2008 for an Australian television network in the lead-up to the Beijing Olympic Games. Um, it was there that I learned firsthand how a communist regime operates when it is the subject of media interest. And there were times during my uh, presence in China where we were often followed by uh, police officers tracking our movement. Um, and just suspicious activity in general. And obviously when this virus emanated out of China, as a journalist who likes to go down dark alleys not knowing what they'll find, Mm -hmm. immediately I knew that the spidey sense that I was feeling would lead to something related to China. And what we uncovered was gross malfeasance on the behalf of the Chinese Communist Regime Party. The fact of the matter is they were determined to shut down any talk of this pneumonia-like virus that was spreading throughout one of its biggest provinces, Wuhan, despite the alarms that were raised by neighbouring countries such as Taiwan who notified the World Health Organization that uh, that there was this SARS-like virus and it was being transferred from human-to-human contact. And the World Health Organization ignored it. Why? Because the World Health Organization's pockets and coffers are lined by the Chinese Communist Government Party uh, but more importantly, you're also an enemy of the state of China. So we knew that anyone with a modicum of intelligence that studies foreign policy understood that there was something nefarious going on here. And what we learned over time was the tragic story of the doctors that were operating within the Wuhan province hospital and who blew the whistle on COVID-19. One particular doctor, Dr. Lee, um, wrote on the social media platform WeChat, the equivalent of a Facebook in China, that he had seen numerous patients at the hospital with pneumonia-like SARS symptoms and that he was very concerned that this was the beginning of a pandemic. Instead of his warnings being heeded, 
and medical authorities in China doing something about it, they denounced him. They forced him to recant his statements, disavow them. They arrested him. And in my view, he will go down in history, sadly, as one of the greatest whistleblowers in the history of the world. Why sadly? Because ultimately he died of COVID. That's right. And posthumously, the Chinese government has said he was a hero, a hero that was ignored and neutered, yet could have stopped the spread of this virus if only he was listened to. And if only the government, the Chinese Communist Regime Party, took this very seriously, hundreds of thousands of lives would not have been lost and hundreds, millions of people would not have been impacted by this virus had Dr. Lee have been listened to. It's quite striking, and the you know there's so many questions, and we're going to get to a lot of this stuff as we as we talk tonight. But from your understanding of how the communist uh, government works in China, what was their motivation to cover this up in the beginning instead of address it honestly so that it could be stopped or mitigated? Is it embarrassment, or it, was there something? Is there something about its source that they didn't want? to be revealed? No, I mean, I think it boils down to one uh, important factor, that they want to be the world's superpower. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you have a three-way battle between the United States, China, and Russia to be that power. Anything that would question China's ability to function and not protect its citizens from such a thing as a pandemic would call into question their economy, would call into question their status on the world stage. And quite frankly, I think that was the reason for um, the way in which the virus was uh, disavowed and misinformation was allowed to sow amongst the people. You also have to consider the fact that the Chinese government, knowing that there was this human-to-human transmission of an unknown virus, allowed hundreds of thousands of people to leave the Wuhan province, even after they knew that there was something going on. And that is nothing short of exceptional culpability. So let's go. Let's re- rewind the calendar here. Let's let's turn the page back to let's say December and January, December twenty nineteen, January twenty twenty. We started first started to hear uh, minor but news reports of something happening, some kind of weird uh, illness starting to take hold in China. What was China saying at the time? Were they saying anything at that point? No, I mean, that's, that's one of the great ironies of this, is that the World Health Organization, which is a body that is empowered to look after the citizens of the world and assist countries in times of crises like this, indeed, ignored, not only ignored Taiwan, sent out uh, messages of congratulations uh, to the Chinese government saying that they handled 
um, this unknown virus with great uh, success. Well, no, they did not. In fact, their culpability in this has really yet to be exposed. Yeah. And um, one could argue that it probably requires intervention from an organisation like the United Nations. Certainly here in the United States, I believe that a Senate inquiry is necessary to understand what we knew as a country, how we knew it, when we knew it, what we did about it or what we didn't do about it, and what we can learn from it so as to avoid a repeat of it. Um, But as for recourse in holding those culpable, it's a fine line because we know that the virus was uh, transmitted originally in the first instance from animal to human contact. And I've been to Chinese wet markets. I know that you can get every form of animal that you want, but it is a different culture. It is a a country where those types of meats that you and I wouldn't eat are... Well, I don't know whether you would, but I I certainly would not. I would not. Um, (laughs) I would not. (laughs) what we do know is that uh, that they're particular delicacies for the Chinese people. So to deprive them of their cultural uh, uh, rights, if you like, um, I think would be uh, a travesty. But at the same time, it was indeed that bat-to-human transmission and then human-to-human transmission, which made this spread like a wildfire. I just want to ask this question point blank and get your honest opinion and answer here. And I don't know that we we know 100% in any, for certainty in any direction, but there has been a lot of talk that this was not a bat-to-human transmission. This was a lab-created or lab-manipulated virus that escaped. Do you have any reason to believe that might be true? No. There is zero evidence to suggest that this virus was anything but derived from a wet market in Wuhan. Now, this again comes to the issue of misinformation. And in many ways, both sides of the political aisle took a a play out of the Chinese Communist government's playbook. Let's start with the GOP. It was caught red-handed releasing a 57-page dossier to electoral candidates in the lead-up to the election in which they were encouraged to double down on the conspiracy theory that this virus was man-made and escaped from a Wuhan lab. Why? To divert attention away from the government's perceived failing. At the same time, you had the Democrats lambasting the GOP for its handling and the White House for its handling of the virus. Yet, at the same time, we're not prepared to take action against individuals who are doing a very noble cause, I might add, in protesting Black Lives Matter, but to allow them to protest 
and cause anarchy on streets of countries around this nation without masks, without social distancing, smacks of, uh, of being hypocrite. It also um, should behoove us to take a good look at uh, Governors Andrew Cuomo and his handling of it, and also Gavin Newsom in California and his handling of the virus. Rules for some and rules for others. Right. In the case of California, and Newsom going to a Michelin star restaurant when he had imposed lockdown and curfews. And the inconsistency about the way in which this is policed beggars belief to me. So uh, indoor dining is cancelled, yet synagogues in Brooklyn, which are a rare and sacred position, that the Jewish faith have a level of faith that a lot of other religions don't. That's right. But they're fined because they congregate at the synagogue uh, for service. And that smacks of government-enabled anti-Semitism, in my mind, when what they should be doing, what Cuomo and de Blasio should be doing in New York, is educating and demystifying the virus by going into those communities and explaining to them how they still can go to synagogue and mitigate the spread of the virus. Just like in California and Los Angeles, where the black community has done a tremendous job, so much greater than the Latino communities in stopping the spread of the virus, go to that community, find out what they've been doing, find out what the community leaders have done, and implement it elsewhere. But instead, we're given no information, even down to the point where there is a vaccine. I can't sit here tonight and tell you what vaccine you should have, where to get the vaccine, how reliable it is, do you have to have a second shot, is there any side effect? Because no government institution is communicating with us. It, that's a that's a great point. Um, I want to go back briefly to the to the beginnings of this, particularly in China. I remember specifically the reports coming from China that were being also uh, repeated by U.S. government officials at the time, and then seeing leaked videos of massive operations of spraying down streets and buildings and people being arrested for having contact. And I was thinking at the time, Dylan, this isn't adding up. The things that are being reported are not matching the things that we're seeing here. This makes no sense to me. Did you have that sense as well? Well, again, it's very hard to judge from afar as to what the government in China wanted us to see and what they actually wanted to occur. Mm -hmm. They wanted to be seen to be taking a rigorous approach to the virus. Whether or not that was necessarily required to the extent, I can't answer from this far away. Um, Suffice to say, 
I have zero confidence in um, the president of China and the political leaders of China that they handled this with any form of distinction. Another very important point that was a bit awkward at the time, uh, you mentioned Taiwan being one of the uh, whistleblowers, if you will, saying, hey, there's there's more going on here than what's being talked about. Uh, and I remember discussions with World Health Organization officials, and they were asked about China, about Taiwan's reports and Taiwan's uh, information uh, that seemed to disagree with what the official Chinese line was. And the World Health Organization wouldn't even acknowledge Taiwan as as a, a legitimate country. They wouldn't even say the name. Well, there's a reason for that, and the simple reason is that, as I said earlier, the coffers of the World Health Organization in the wake of the SARS pandemic, and which they were aggressively criticized mm-hmm. um, by uh, the Chinese government, was aggressively criticized by the, the WHO. Um, they have done a lot of work to rebuild that relationship, and they've done it through nefarious means by lining their coffers. Yeah. Now, Taiwan's government was monitoring travellers arriving from Wuhan after they got intelligence about this pneumonia-like infection. So what is a country to do when people from a, a particular area are coming with symptoms? Naturally enough, they turn to the WHO. Right. So the WHO could advise healthcare workers that were falling ill and indicating that there was this unknown virus that was spreading between the people. But the Taiwanese government was ignored, and I can't help but think that this is another example of the WHO bowing to pressure from Beijing, which for years has blocked Taiwan from joining the United Nations and being a member of the WHO for decades. I mean, that's that's quite an indictment of the World Health Organization. Their primary mission is supposed to be and should be the, uh, you know, the 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 maintaining and, and assisting in the health of all of Earth's citizens. And instead, it sounds like it's another political puppet. And um, that kind of negates its mission completely, I would think. Well, the, the first the first known cases, even though. In the final days of ni- uh, 2019, mm-hmm. it was January 4 um, that the World Health Organization made its first announcement about COVID 19, saying that China had reported to it a cluster of what they called pneumonia cases, but stressed with no deaths in the Wuhan province. Um, the World Health Organization was painstakingly uh, nauseous in telling us that investigations were underway to identify the cause of the illness. They repeated that assessment some five days later, saying that the virus, quote-unquote, does not transmit readily between people and went on to praise China for identifying the, the new virus. Well, as we now know, that couldn't be further from the truth. 
and the WHO did not recommend a lockdown as an effective measure in trying to mitigate or control the spread of COVID-19 until it was declared a pandemic in mid-March. So up to that point, the WHO's reactions were largely being informed by China, which had an underhanded motive in covering up the true extent of the virus. That that was going to be my next question. So was the World Health Organization denying the truth or were they just parroting what the Chinese Communist government was telling them? Parroting. Now, you could argue they should have had boots on the ground and I, I genuinely cannot answer the question as to what resources were on the ground from the WHO in making their own independent investigation but by repeating the rhetoric of the Chinese government, which on a prima facie basis appears that they were, um, then it's quite clear that they were parroting. Um, the reality is that I think it was about two weeks um, after the first announcement so if you're looking at January 4th, so it was around about January 18 or January 19, from the best of my recollection, that the WHO sent its first team to the Wuhan province um, to investigate this particular case. But even after then, despite what we now know is an obvious cover-up, even after that visit, WHO praised the Chinese government for what they called invaluable efforts mm-hmm. to halt the virus and expressed admiration for China's cooperation and transparency. We're talking tonight with Dylan Howard. Dylan, of course, a returning guest to the program. He's an investigative journalist and an author, and his new book is called COVID-19, The Greatest Cover-Up in History from Wuhan to the White House. Dylan, you've used words like willful mismanagement, incompetence, arrogance, obviously cover-ups, lies. And you apply those words kind of uh, cross borders here. It's not just China. It's not just the World Health Organization. You include the United States. You include Britain. How far do words like mismanagement and incompetence spread around the globe as it relates to this pandemic? Oh, there is no winners in this. Um, No country could be... No country can be said to have done a flawless job without making a misstep in this virus. Arguably, New Zealand uh, did a phenomenal job to mitigate the virus and stop its spread. Australia, too, did a very good job late in the piece. Early on, it was, uh, for want of a better phrase, an SHIT show. Um, And, you know, there was a particular instance where they would implement a 14-day quarantine of any internationals coming into the country and put them up in hotels, yet the private security agencies that were employed to ensure that these people remained in lockdown and under quarantine were allowing individuals out onto the streets 
in exchange for sex. And that caused a Royal Commission investigation in Australia. Oh, wow. So I don't think anyone can be said to have done a great job in the handling of COVID-19. But what's critically important at this juncture, as we're about to embark on, I think we've hit the second wave. I'm going to say it's the third wave, which will be after Christmas Mm -hmm. when families gather. Um, We're going to see a tremendous spike. Supply of the vaccine will not meet demand anytime soon. Right. And my sources within the White House tell me that we should not expect any level of comfort until at least summer. So put that into context. The world has been crippled since February of this year. We are not going to resume normalcy for 18 months in total. We have an obligation to the people of this country and to the world to do a thorough investigation about this. China ought to be held to account. China needs to be investigated. The World Health Organization needs the equivalent of a proctology exam. (laughs) We need to understand the missteps in order to touch wood, ensure that the next time a virus like this comes along, and trust me, it will. Yeah. We know it will. Hopefully not in this lifetime, but we're better prepared. And my biggest concern as someone who studies foreign policy is that this virus has shown us that it can destabilize the world and ruin economies, that this is the next form of war that countries will see if they manufacture a virus like this, they can bring the world to its knees. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's probably one of the most important lessons we can learn from what's happening here. And and, you know, I'll give China the benefit of the doubt as best I can that this, in fact, was an animal to human transmission completely uh, um uh, accidental, I suppose, and certainly not intentional. However, if you wanted to write out a narrative on how to uh, affect the world in a way that benefits China or benefits whoever you know would be responsible for releasing releasing this type of uh, illness, this is the story. This is the way it can be done. It's been proven, and that is the scariest part of it all. Absolutely, and you know, in the United Kingdom which is another uh, country that, quite frankly, botched its handling Mm -hmm. when it said that herd immunity and protection of the economy, and if that meant that some pensioners who were susceptible to the disease died, then that was simply, quote-unquote, too bad. Mm -hmm. These are the words of a chief advisor to Boris Johnson. I mean, you've got to look seriously at these politicians and ask yourself the question, should Dominic Cummings, who made that statement, carry the position that he did? When I heard that comment, 
I, like many, looked on in horror. If you were to describe this, we know that this has been politicised to a large extent. Right. We know that it has been used to the benefit of various media institutions and individuals, and the credibility of individuals has been cut down uh, in order for political gain. But the reality here is that this is one of the most serious failures of government, of an international government in China. It's one of the most serious serious science policy failures around the world and here in the United States. The whole thing was handled with neglect. It was a shambles. There was mixed messaging because governments had no playbook to play from. There were no standard sets of procedures and states were able to come up with their own policies based on their own ideological lines. And the lack of organisation and a complacent attitude of today's society all were bundled together as a Molotov cocktail to ensure that this virus wreaked havoc on society. Imagine if it was deliberate and man-made and used as a biotech weapon. If this is what happens when an unexpected pandemic occurs, if one is used or a virus is used in a battle of war in the 21st century, God help us, we're in trouble. I want to go back to the hit list of nations and how they responded and handled the pandemic. You brought up Australia and New Zealand as being examples of uh, two countries that got it fairly, um, I don't know if right is the word, but certainly handled it better than others. What about, there's two other nations that come to mind that were often mentioned in media reports. One is Sweden and the other is South Korea. Uh, It's a very good point. Sweden obviously was... uh, praised very early on um, for its herd immunity strategy. It was hailed very early on um, by lockdown sceptics, if you like. Right. But now we're seeing that Sweden is abandoning that strategy and is actually suffering some of the worst second waves to have hit uh, Europe. Um, their message now is, quite frankly, don't do anything. Um, that was in November uh, from the Swedish Prime Minister. Now, uh, they had eschewed strict lockdown since the start of the pandemic, but now have been forced to reverse their stance after the spiralling second wave infection rate. So I think in many ways that too is an admission that the Swedes were anything but uh, uh, successful in mitigating it at the time. Um, It might just be that the virus wasn't as potent uh, at the initial stages as it was elsewhere. And now we're seeing... um, uh, Now we're seeing the full extent of a virus that has spread from country to country to country to country. And just like Sweden, 
South Korea had been hailed as a model and something that we should look upon because they used extensive testing and tracing to keep cases low, but they too are seeing um, huge increases in a second wave, and the country is on the verge of a nationwide lockdown. Uh, in fact, its president said recently that their backs were against the wall. So, again, those that have been praised in the past have suffered relapses. And I, I continually say this because I do believe that the piece of work that we delivered in COVID-19, the greatest cover-up in history, is a very objective view of this. It doesn't politicise it. It looks at both sides of um, government and it looks at in international governments and compares it to America, that there really are no winners. Missteps were made in every country. And anyone that doesn't acknowledge that, and it might be the big fella in the White House who's got a, a month and a half to go, um, is kidding himself. How much of the, as you put it, the SHIT show around the world was a result of, as you said, there was no playbook and there was a lot of ignorance and there was a lot of information in, in and I'm not talking about information that came after the fact. I'm talking about information in the very beginning when China was not reporting accurately what was happening. And decisions were trying to be made by whether it was federal officials, state officials, or officials of foreign governments on how to handle this. I mean, how much of that was just basically shooting in the dark, hoping you're going to come up with something that'll work? Yeah, it was like shooting fish in a barrel. Um, initially, Donald Trump had wanted to handle the pandemic his way or the highway, and then the states kicked up a fuss saying that it was them who had the power right. uh, to guide their people. Now, that meant it left the federal government with not a lot of control over the situation, and that the countries and the, the states, I should say, were split, split down government ideological lines. Now, that is an incredibly dangerous situation, especially in an election year, because the motivation in how to handle the virus is obviously skewed towards uh, the potential political fallout or the potential political gain. So to that extent, I can give Donald Trump a whole pass. I can't give him a complete pass because the reality was that there was one person who was a shining beacon of hope and optimism and guidance to the American people. And sure, he may have waved on whether wearing masks was the right thing, um, but his reasoning for doing so was valid. But his credibility was undermined by the president, and I'm talking about Dr. Anthony Fauci. Right. His authority as a spokesperson, as effectively the chief 
medical spokesperson of the country dealing with this pandemic was completely and utterly ruined by the most powerful man in the country, the president, Donald J. Trump, sowing confusion amongst people, spreading misinformation, and quite frankly, making most people put their arms up in the air and saying, I don't know if I should socially distance. I don't know if I should wear a mask. I don't know who I should talk to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's Donald Trump's biggest failing in all of this. He allowed that level of misinformation to spread throughout the United States by using a play out of the Chinese government playbook. And quite frankly, that's probably the reason why he is not being re-elected, despite the groundswell of support in the 73 million people that did vote for him. The reality was the exit poll said COVID-19 and the economy were the two biggest issues that voters raised. Those two with COVID-19 are intimately linked. Is it fair to um, give Donald Trump credit and praise for uh, where he did seem to focus much of his energy, which was Operation Warp Speed and the creation of what seemed to be, based on reports, effective vaccinations in record, record time, record speed? I mean, we've never seen anything addressed this quickly when it comes to some type of immunization uh, for uh, uh, an existing disease or existing pandemic. It seems to be quite an accomplishment. Is that a fair statement? Um, Look, someone said to me today why we don't have a cure for cancer, but we're able to develop a cure in nine months or a vaccination in nine months for this particular virus. So to that extent... Operation Warp Speed has been tremendously successful. But the very basics of communications have been absconded. As I said earlier in the program, the information surrounding the vaccinations, the various types, what type of vaccination you should get, how to get it, we don't know. If Donald Trump's lasting legacy is one thing, make it an address from the Oval Office that spells out to the people of this country what the vaccination is and how we can get it and what it will do for us. That would be a very presidential way to exit 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Yeah, I think that's a fair fair way to put it. Um, you know, one of the things that we've struggled with all along, and maybe this is mis- misinformation or maybe it's just ignorance or maybe it's truly debatable, but it seems the line of what's science and what's not science moved a lot during the last 12 months or so. Um, and I think part of that is the nature of science, particularly when it's something that, uh, you know, we're looking at something that we haven't seen before. And, uh, you know, it takes time to gather data. It takes time to uh, observe patterns of activity, et cetera. So, um, you know, how much of that was just a learning process? Science is an, uh, science, especially with a pandemic that 
is fast developing, spreading and growing is a movable feast at the best of times. Right. So I don't think science can be blamed uh, for this. Science is science. Uh, The reality was we needed to adapt to the information that we were gleaning in real time. Mm -hmm. And when you trace it all back, we were ignoring science from the very outset. And China, in many ways, hoodwinked the world by uh, covering its own tracks, downplaying the virus, ignoring science, and really got us knee-deep, or as they would say in my country, um, up SHIT Creek (laughs) without a paddle. Um, yeah, we say that. We say that here, too. <laughs> a lot, in fact. Uh, so, you know, here we are today, and I think we just crossed. And, and in, in all honesty, uh, you know, at some point you just start, you start becoming a little bit numb to the news. But I think we just crossed 300,000 deaths in the United States, yeah. right? Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the global total is, but um, obviously it's significantly higher than that. Um I mean, you know, and and the vaccine is supposedly being rolled out right now. People, we've seen video of people being inoculated, with shots being put in people's arms, whatever it is. Um, so, at this point, what is the answer? I mean, what what do we start looking at as a as a nation and as a world uh, to to find that sense of normalcy? Do we have to start just figuring it out for ourselves? Uh no, I mean, I think that the World Health Organization needs to stand up here. Are they, though? Be. Are they? Will They're they? No, no. Yeah. And in the absence of them, it should be up to the individual countries to educate their people. Right. But I'm seeing a complete vacuum of that. Is it happening the right questions. way? Is it happening the right way anywhere in the world right now? Can we point to an example? Um, I think it's too early yeah. uh, at this point. We're only a couple of days into the rollout of the vaccine, but with some uh, 34 million cases of COVID still active in the world, um, the notion that supply is ever going to meet demand in the short term is lunacy. Yeah. Um, and to answer your question from earlier on, I just looked at the current numbers. Over 1.6 million people have died as a result of the virus, um, with more than 73.5 million cases, of which 41.5 million recovered. So that delta of that is the individuals that are still fighting the virus, some 32 million individuals. So as you looked at all of this and you and you examined across borders, across political ideologies, uh, the way this was handled, um, do we see any patterns or trends? I mean, let's look at the United States specifically. Clearly, Republican and or conservative states handled it in, a, in one way. Uh, liberal or Democrat-led uh, states handled a different way. New York has handled it one way. Texas handled it a very, very different way. Different way. But are the numbers significantly different between them? Um, you know, it's a it's a 
very valid question and one that I've not dug in on um, as to whether particular states have done a better job than others. I imagine that some have. Um, but again, it's comparing apples and oranges yeah. because the spread of a virus in Montana is not going to be like the spread of a virus in Manhattan. Sure. Simply due to the dense population of, of the various situations. Right. Out, out in Texas, for example, uh, it's not going to be as strong as it would be in Dallas. So it's, it, it, there's, there is no proportionality in being able to say certain states have done it better than others. What is the answer, Dylan, uh, as an American citizen, how do we force our government to to be prepared and to be honest and to handle the next one? I can't we can't say they can handle it the uh, hundred with 100 percent effectiveness, but better than it was handled this time around. What do we do? Do you have any ideas, suggestions? Uh, I think it comes back to what I said earlier, and that is to do the equivalent of a proctology examination on yeah. how we handled this virus. So we, we didn't handle it well. So we've got we've yeah. got to we've got to put pressure on our legislators to Absolutely. open up yeah, hearings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Senate hearing, not designed to f- convict anyone, right? But designed to learn and glean information that could avoid this from happening again. No one wants to see it happen again, right? And unless we're prepared to do some serious navel gazing then we are going to be in a world of pain moving forward. How long did it take you to write this? Because you did a lot of work to uh, to put the information together and, and, and put this book together. And given the fact that we've, you know, what, what are we, 10 months, 11 months really into this, um, you must have started pretty quickly. Yeah, so uh, we, we started, myself and my co-author Dominic Ott, who is based in Britain and was able to provide a fantastic uh, insight into how Britain was handling the virus. We started writing at the start of March, and the book chronicles the first six months of the pandemic. And it really sort of ends at a period because of obviously book publishing um, and the need to go to print and the need to get books in stores and for distribution. Right. We had to sort of cap our reporting at the six month mark which was around the time that numbers were starting to dwindle and things were starting to look rosy. Mm -hmm. But there was also, you know, this uncertainty. So this book is, in many ways, the definitive account of the six months that started the pandemic. Um, Who knows? Uh, If we assess that it was the greatest cover-up in history, at that point, I, I dare to think uh, an analogy that could come at the end once everybody is hopefully safe and vaccinated from the virus. Um, but this is going to go down in our generation as our World War, World War Three. 
Yeah. And President Trump might have called himself a wartime president, but the reality was this was a war. And in times of war, you look for leadership. We didn't have any. And that is an indictment on the democracy here in the United States and across the globe for state-backed organisations like the World Health Organisation who are paid money and are in operation to do certain things and they don't do it. The book is called COVID-19, The Great Greatest Cover-Up in History, from Wuhan to the White House. Dylan, where can people buy the book? They can go to www.wuhantothewhitehouse.com. Uh, but like any of these types of situations, the businesses hurting the most are the local businesses. Yeah. So go to your local bookstore. Um, surely it's stocked there. I'm sure it will be. Encourage, support local businesses because they're the ones that need it over big tech right now yep. who are thriving in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, that th- th- those are those are very important words, and I'm glad you said that. We've talked about that on the program as well. Um, I hate to ask you this because um, this is basically just off the presses, but I know you never stop working, Dylan. Anything in the future that we sh- we can look forward to? A complete pivot away from COVID uh, on uh, January five, my latest book. Um, going back to my celebrity roots, uh, Dirty Sexy Money, the unauthorized biography of, take a guess. <laughs> oh, I was, I was, I was starting to salivate uh, to hear who this was going to be. I don't know. I don't know. Who, who, who is this about? Chris Jenner. Really? How a ruthless Beverly Hills socialite created a billion-dollar empire. Wow. Wow. That sounds fascinating, actually. Wow. Well, we know what we're going to be talking to you about next, then. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dylan, thank again. I I cannot tell you how important your work is in a day and age when much of the media seems to abdicate abdicate its responsibility in giving us the truth and and prying into some of these things to uh, shed light on things that uh, we aren't being told publicly. And you're doing those things, and you're to be lauded for that. And again, thank you for your work, and thank you for being here to share it with us. It's my absolute pleasure, and thank you for giving uh, a voice to these types of topics because, frighteningly, uh, we're curbed from discussing them on mainstream outlets because it doesn't fit within their narrative and agenda. So yeah. thank you very much for your time, and uh, and I appreciate the, the honest, brutal uh, discussion that we had about this. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.